Would you grab your Bibles at this time and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 34. We've been going through this book of Isaiah, and one thing you'll note is it's a fairly heavy book. Um, Isaiah is pretty powerfully preaching uh, the word of the Lord to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And um, it's a heavy word. And he's been saying, woe unto the rebellious children of Israel. We saw that last week. And, and they're in a place of real rebellion. And he's been handing out the woes. And this Wednesday night, we're going to get into a section uh, where he's going to even hand out the woes to all the nations. It's not just the Jews. It's, it's all the nations that rebel against the Lord. And so there's kind of this heavy woe section. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to get into the last section of Isaiah that is a little more um, exciting and positive and less woe uh, and a little more go. And uh, so I'm excited to get to that section of Isaiah. But tonight, the Lord just put it on my heart to take a small little chunk of a verse. Uh, It's not even a whole verse, because we'll talk about the whole verse on Wednesday night. But there's a notion here that I think is really important, and it, it gets to fundamentals. You know, no matter what discipline you do, whatever talent, gift, set you have, if you're a you know, musician or an athlete, or you have a certain craft that you're really good at, or, you know, there, there's things that just take um, sort of once in a while going back to the fundamentals. And you'll find usually someone who's really good at something, they're usually pretty set on the fundamentals, and there are people that often will continue to practice those fundamentals. And, um, and uh, in so doing, you keep good form, and you can continue to do well in your discipline. And as a Christian, there are times we have to kind of consider, Lord, how am I doing in the fundamentals? Especially when we're in times where things are crazy. Man, you can get caught up in politics and lose the fundamentals of what it's all about. What is my Christian faith all about? And some of you perhaps are getting stressed out and angry and uptight and freaked out because of what's going on in the world. Time to shut all that stuff off. Tonight, I want you to consider just the fundamentals. How is your walk personally with Jesus Christ? And, uh, and, and, you know, if you had to stand before the Lord tonight uh, in uh, the throne of heaven, would, would the Lord say, man, this season of pandemic, we've been close and my word has been on your heart, and you've been seeking me in prayer, or would you be able to quote Sean Hannity and, um, you know, Wolf Blitzer and, uh, you know, um, uh, maybe Ben Shapiro, or, you know, it depends on what side of the aisle you're from, but, you know, you can quote your politics and your candidates and stuff like that, but but are are you one that's near to Christ? That's the question. The children of Israel are shockingly in a very similar place as we are in our lives. Where we're at in the Bible is where we're at in life, and we've seen that here in Isaiah in kind of a profound way. Um, Last Sunday's uh, study, we saw exactly where we're at is where the Jews were at during their time, and, and it really was kind of a perfect word for us to learn from them from thousands of years ago totally relates to today. And I, I wonder if the mistake that they were making could be very similar to the mistake the church of Jesus Christ makes today. And it's a fatal flaw. It's a big blunder. It's one we don't want to do. And we see it here in Isaiah chapter 34 
And we'll take a look right here at verse 16. Isaiah 34, 16. There, Isaiah speaks to the children of Israel saying, verse 16, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. Again, seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. You say, well, what about the second half of that verse? Well, there's a lot of explanation that is required for that because of what was said previously. And we'll go into that on Wednesday night. What's, what's he specifically talking about? Well, let me just give you a real high-level uh, sort of ex- explanation. Chapter 34 is dealing with God's judgments upon the nations, all the nations. He's going to talk about Moab and some of these other places, but really all the nations. And it's, it's going to be brutal. He's going to talk about, you know, um, the, the wrath of God and a fervent heat and destruction and righteousness and judgment. It's, it's heavy, 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 heavy. And he's going to talk about these animals that are going to go in places. And there's a long list of animals we're going to look at on. If you're an animal uh, person, uh, you'll like this because um, there's a lot of animals listed here in chapter 30 that we're going to look at on Wednesday night and uh, kind of an ancient description of different kinds of animals, which will be kind of fun. But, but the idea is people are going to cease to dwell in the land and only animals are going to live there because the people are all going to be dead. <laughs> it's going to be a great place, like a wildlife safari, uh, because people are going to be gone in this section uh, where Isaiah's prophesying of real doom. And, and the people were hearing Isaiah give the word of the Lord, but do you remember what they were saying way back in chapter 28? Um, in fact, let's go back and uh, see what they were saying. If you flip your scriptures back to chapter 28 of Isaiah, we went over this um, last week where the, the people were chiding against Isaiah, saying, you're, cheat, you're treating us like children. You're giving us the Bible, you know. And now you got to remember the Bible in Isaiah's time was the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible as we know it today, the Torah, uh, the books of Moses, the, you know, the first five. And, and, you know, Isaiah was trying to speak the word of the Lord. But listen to what, listen to what they say here in Isaiah 28. They're being very sarcastic kind of facetious. They, um, they say in chapter 28, verse 9, whom shall teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, and they, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Now, I, I mentioned this on Wednesday night in our Wednesday night Bible study. There's a thing you and I miss reading the English translation of this, but it's a funny little deal that Isaiah's doing here that we miss because if you hear it in the Hebrew, it's, it's making sort of a, rep- a, repetitive, a repetitive childish sort of sound. Uh, but it's sort of linked to precept upon precept, line upon line. You might say, why is he repeating that over and over again? 
It's because it's like a childish chant um, that, that the people are saying, yeah, Isaiah, you big loser, you're teaching us to go line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon line. It's like when, when little kids go, neener, neener, neener. Like that's a nonsensical thing, but you know what it means. It means you're not going to get me and you're kind of a weirdo or whatever. You know, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a uh, in-your-face sort of thing, but it makes, it's kind of nonsensical, but it has meaning. In the same way, Isaiah is using this literary form of sort of the neener, neener, neener thing with the sound of the Hebrews' uh, language saying, um, you guys have said to me, we don't need your Bible teaching. We don't care about what you're saying. And you're, you're treating us like children, like we're nursing from a mother's breast. That's what Isaiah is saying. And the people said, we don't want to hear uh, what the Bible has to say or what the Lord has to say. And, um, and they said, you know, Isaiah says at the end of verse 12, yet they would not hear. Um, so because of that, at the end of verse 13, we saw they're going to they're gonna fall backward, be broken and snared and taken. And that's exactly what will happen to the people of Israel. Broken, snared, and fall. Because they were unwilling to hear the word and they sort of made fun, almost like a jest out of, you know, Isaiah's Bible teaching, uh, giving the word of the Lord to them. They were, they were kind of like, yeah, whatever. And they only wanted to talk about what they wanted to talk about. They didn't care about what Isaiah had to say. And so this was what was going on in chapter 28. And now Isaiah in chapter 34, he's saying this, seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read no one of these shall fail. Now, when he's saying no one of these shall fail, what's he saying? He's saying this. He's saying um, none of the things that, that Isaiah has just prophesied about the destruction of the world and about the ends of the earth and about the nations being judged and the wrath of God, none of that's going to fail. It's all going to come to pass, every single one of them. So Isaiah's sort of giving his last charge saying, be familiar with this. Know what's going on. Look in the book. That's what he's saying. The NIV puts it this way, look at the scroll of the Lord. The New King James Version says, search from the book. My King James says, seek ye out of the book of the Lord. But the idea is search, seek, look to the scriptures. And that's where you're going to find all the answers. It's almost like Isaiah saying, I'm telling you the word of the Lord, but if you don't believe me, go look at the book. Look at the scroll of the Lord, the book of the Lord. That would be the Pentateuch. And, and all these things were there, by the way. And um, one of the things we've done in our study is shown that the Lord said, if you go into your promised land and you do this and that and the other, then, man, you're going to be in trouble. You know, and, and, and uh, we even saw last week how they went down to Egypt because of their horses and chariots. We saw that. But in Deuteronomy, God told the children of Israel, when you go into the land and, and you want um, horses, don't go to Egypt. And don't multiply horses to yourselves. And that's exactly what they did. They needed to look in the book to see if what they were doing was right or wrong. They needed to search the scroll, search the book, look in the scroll of the Lord. But they would not and they did not want to hear it. This sort of reminds me of, uh, you know, the, the Bereans. Uh, you, you remember, it's in Acts chapter 17. You can jot it down in your notes. But in the book of Acts chapter 17, it says in verse 10, this is, of course, you know, Paul the Apostle. 
And the brethren uh, immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went to the synagogue of the Jews. Those, these men were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and men, not a few. Greeks and women, you say, what, why are they mentioned? Well, you gotta remember the Jewish men kind of had a thing where they were saying, we're the only really guys that are dialed in. Gentiles, they were created for the fuel for hell. That's why Gentiles existed. That's what they believed. And women, you know, the, the, the Jews back in this time used to pray, oh, thank the Lord that I am not a dog or a woman. They used to pray that. Um, it was a horrible culture. It was a horrible society. And I love how when Jesus came, he sort of blew that whole thing up. Um, and, and here, when you do what the people of Thessalonica do, they received the word that with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily uh, to see if these things were true or false, what, what, what they were preaching. I love that. These were a diligent bunch of people, the Bereans. They go down legendary. If you talk to a person who knows the scriptures and say, what did the Bereans do? Well, most people know, oh, Berean, they're the people that, you know, they'll hear somebody teach the word and say, wait a minute, I'm gonna search the scriptures and see what that dude is saying, whether it's true or false. And here we're basically being instructed, be like the Bereans. They were more noble. How were they noble? When they heard Paul's words, they went and searched the scriptures, as it says here, uh, daily to search the scriptures to see whether those things were true or false. Therefore, many of them believed. Um, I love this. Now, what I see here is what the people of Isaiah's time were lacking. They didn't want to hear what the Bible had to say. They didn't want to hear the word of the Lord. Um, they wanted to hear the latest gossip or the latest fake news or even the latest true news, but the stuff that didn't matter. They, they, they wanted to hear just about anything and everything except for <laughs> what God was saying. And I, I'm concerned. I think that we are falling into that same pitfall today. We are an in information-saturated society. And boy, I'll tell you, you know, a lot of falsities. There's, you know, this, in the last three or four years, you know, this whole fake news uh, thing that we, you know, and, and I, you know, I hear it from both sides of the aisle, you know, people saying, oh, well, that's fake news or that's fake news. And, and nobody knows anymore. Like there's so much misinformation out there that nobody knows what to believe anymore. Um, and man, I want to tell you, if you're one who's listening tonight, um, you need to, maybe some of you, and I, I think this is a real word from the Lord, and I don't say this, you know, uh, lightly or very often, but I, I believe there's a word for, from the Lord for the congregation at Athey Creek, and that is, put down your mouse. Uh, put, put, put away your iPad and stop clicking, clicking, clicking. And, uh, and maybe start really praying and, and spending a little more time in the Word rather than, you know, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or all these other things. I, I fear that things are getting kind of crazy right now in, in what we are allowing our minds to engage in. And, and left unchecked, you'll find yourself with high blood pressure and stress and anger 
and misinformation, but you'll think you're the one who has the right information. And it's, it's just really a tough thing. That's what I love, by the way, about the Bible. You know, if I go online and read something or Google it up or whatever, or Wikipedia or whatever, um, man, good luck finding whether th- something's true or false. But I love the scriptures because they are true. Uh, there's nothing lacking in the Bible. And it's withstood millennia. See, that's the difference. Today, your Facebook entry has withstood 10 seconds of social media, and eventually it'll be debunked, or people will show that the numbers are wrong, or there's something wacko. Um, that, that's, that's the way it is. But the Bible, man, we got the scriptures. And that's something you and I should be given wholly to. And my question is really simple tonight. You know, back to the fundamentals, are you in the scriptures? Are you reading the word? Are you approaching the Bible with uh, the respect that it deserves? Or are we tacking on scriptures and sort of, you know, talking about the things only we want to talk about and, and sort of pulling scriptures for our own purpose or our use rather than letting the scriptures really radically change our life and our worldview and our thinking? Would you please ask yourself, how am I doing with the Word? Now, now this is hard because some of you will say, yeah, yeah I got that, because I, I, I listen to Brett's Bible study Wednesday night. Nope, that's not what I'm talking about. That's a good step in the right direction. If you're given to Bible study, that's great. I commend that. I think it's a great thing. But what about you in the Word yourself, by yourself? Oh, well, Pastor Brett, you know, I don't really get much out of it that way and kind of read the Bible and kind of got it. And, uh, but, you know, Wednesday night's kind of my, my time. I give, a, a, you know, an hour uh, there on Wednesday night to the Word. Man, I don't know. I, I'm concerned that we've become people across America and the Church of Jesus Christ around the world where we don't really give the Word of God its proper place. And here Isaiah, you almost hear him saying, oh, please, would you please look in the book? Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. I think that's a perfect word for us tonight to consider. Now, um, we see these Bereans. It says, I love what it says, that they, they had sort of some attributes, by the way, these Acts 17 Bereans. I love where it says here, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all readiness of mind. I'm going to give you three things to consider and ask yourself tonight. Am I one who approaches God's word with readiness of mind, number one? Then number two, willingness of heart. And thirdly, steadfastness of soul. First, I want to ask you, how are you doing as you approach the scriptures? Are you approaching with readiness of mind? You know, it's exactly what it sounds like. Are you readying your mind when you get into Scripture? Or are you just kind of mindlessly tacking on scriptural reading? Or doing, you know, you're checking the box of your one-year Bible, and I finally got through that section, or kind of getting through that. But are are you reading the Word with with a mind that's that's ready to take in the Scriptures and to do it? Are, Are you receptive? You know, uh, it's interesting because um, I believe these are days where you and I should be um, approaching Scripture with great interest. <clears throat> you know, Bible prophecy is one of those things that, you know, I think we should be looking at very carefully today because, man, we're living in these last days. I'm convinced. Um, these, these times we live in are unmistakably 
you know, described in the Bible of the last days of the world. And we're gonna talk more about that on Friday night at the Prophecy Update. But, but you know, the problem is so many people, they don't wanna look in the book. They don't wanna look at the scroll of the Lord and they say, ah, it's all gonna unfold however it's gonna unfold. That's not readiness of mind. Jesus taught, taught us to watch, be ready, like a watchman, like a guard, um, not to just kind of say, oh, it's gonna happen, whatever it's gonna happen, whatever. Man, the, the scriptures say in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we're going to see these things and it's not going to overtake us as a thief in the night because we're people, children of the light. We've got the word of God that we can look to. So do you study the Bible with that readiness of mind? One of the clues, by the way, on this is um, how you first approach the Bible. And I want to ask some of you, and, and again, Forget about Uncle Bob, forget about Aunt Mildred. Uh, I want you to think about yourself. Just, just think about yourself here and ask yourself this question. Do you study the Bible with your mind made up? Or do you study the Bible for the Bible itself to make up your mind? Let me ask you again that question. Do you study the Bible with your mind made up? Or do you study the Bible to let it make up your mind? That's an important thing. That, that has all, everything to do with readiness of mind. If your mind is saying, okay, Lord, I'm gonna read the scriptures. Let your word penetrate my hard, stubborn, opinionated heart. Because so many people read the Bible with their mind already made up. And you know what? You can prove anything you want in the Bible and call scripture out of context and prove your point. I jokingly say, you know, McDonald's and Taco Bell is scriptural. Uh, why, Brett? Because Proverbs 30, verse 8 said, it is good to eat food convenient for you. There it is. Biblically sound doctrine. Uh, but some of you are like, wait a minute. Uh, I know Proverbs 38. And that's not really what it's talking about. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Um, yeah, but I, I'm just joking around about fast food. <laughs> but I don't think that's really what the scripture is talking about. You can pull scripture out of context and people do. That's a kind of a joke one, but there's people that pull stuff out of context that's not a joke. And they have a worldview and, and they use scripture only to support their own agenda. And by the way, you wanna know who, who, where that's easy? You can do that if you don't go through the whole Bible. You can make a construct of doctrine and you can back it up with various scriptures scattered throughout the Bible. But the thing that lacks is continuity through the rest of the Bible. That's the problem. Some people can make their case with a few isolated scriptures out of context. That's why I'm just convinced more and more that we should be continually, continually uh, you know, taking in that steady diet of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And also in your own personal reading, to have some sort of a pattern and, and plan to let the word, scriptures that you're, you know, I know there's some people that have their favorite scriptures and they kind of read those over and over again in their morning devos, you know. Oh, I love Philippians. Philippians is great. And I do too. But when was the last time you were in the book of Numbers or Lamentations or Leviticus? You know, like it's, it's a funny thing. We, we tend to avoid scriptures, but those are probably the ones we need to be in the most. So a steady diet of verse by verse. Man, I, I'll tell you, in these days we're living, look in the book, not just part of the book, cover to cover. That's why I'm so thankful to have you guys. I mean, there's, 
there's not a lot of people, it seems, today that are up for through the Bible teaching. Famous Bible teachers today are saying, yeah, through the Bible teaching, whatever. Uh, uh, you know, I've mentioned others who've said, it's like cheating going through the Bible verse by verse. I don't get what in the world he was talking about. There's no cheating. I think it's cheating doing uh, little topicals that fit your purpose only and leaving out the rest of it. So there. <laughs> I think it's important for us to have a steady diet. Paul said to the elders of the church at Ephesus there in Acts chapter 20, I have not shunned to declare unto you the full counsel of God, all of it. He's covered the whole deal. And I think that's important. And, and so, you know, an open-minded and receptivity, when you go into the scripture, if you're reading from cover to cover, cover it'll give the Lord a chance to change your mind, fix your outlook, adjust your attitude. You see, apart from the Lord doing that, you and I could be doing the wrong thing. We could be thinking the wrong ways. I don't claim to have a monopoly on, you know, knowing everything or having everything right. And, um, you know, I would never pretend to have that. But I do believe the Word of God has that monopoly. The Scriptures. That's why we're committed to just going verse by verse. And I want to be receptive to what the Bible has to say. And, and I believe these are dangerous times. There's church people everywhere checking in their biblical brain for the latest fad and fancy, the latest movement, the latest guilt trip, the latest emotional bandwagon that everybody's getting on. And I would just say, be careful, Christians, because that's one of the fastest ways to problems, to be uh, suddenly outside of God's will, God's word, because we're not being driven and having our minds made up by the word, we're having our minds made up by the world by CNN, by Fox News, by MSNBC, by Ben Shapiro and whatever podcast you're listening to or whatever. Be careful, Christian. Some of you are saying, well, Brett, what, do you have a problem with Ben Shapiro? I didn't say that. I'm just saying he's not the word of God. Yeah, but he's really smart. He's not the word of God. Nothing is better than the word of God. Nothing. And uh, the problem is people have diminished like the people of Isaiah's time, oh, you want us to read the Bible? That's baby stuff. The Bible. That's what they were saying to Isaiah, baby stuff. So do you read the Bible with your mind made up, or do you read the Bible to let it make up in your mind? Do you, do you judge the Word when you're reading the Word, or do you let the Word judge you? It's an attitude. It's a, it's a way that you approach the Scriptures. And I know this is Christianity 101, but I, I, like I said, we need to reset sometimes. And, and when you read the Bible, you got to put down all your worldviews and things you think are important and say, wait, what does the Bible really say? I love Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word that's likened to a sword in the Bible, it does a job. And what does it do? It divides stuff that is inside of you that is um, tweaked, and it'll judge what you're tweaked on. It'll, it'll point that out to you. If you let the word do its work, it'll, it'll just, as you're reading the Bible, you say, you know what? My worldview on that is kind of wacko. 
And the word of God, if you let it, if you come with that readiness of mind and let the word do its work, you will be ready to roll and you'll know what's true and you won't be deceived by this world. Are you approaching the scriptures with that readiness of mind? Are you an explorer or are you a tourist? Are you digging deep or are you just kind of scratching the surface? I fear that our churches have promoted a uh, tourist mentality when it comes to Scripture. That's, that's what I'm, I'm concerned about. And because of that, we're so easily derailed from good, solid doctrine. A U.S. military training school, there was an instructor who noted, he was an older feller, but he, you know, was training soldiers um, with issues of survival and tactical, um, you know, battle. Um, but he was teaching, he noted from 1958 to 1964, the ap- apathy and disinterest in his lectures on battle tactics and survival was profound. Um, soldiers would often comment on how bored they were during his classes. Later, from 1965 to 1967, the same instructor with the same syllabus saw a radical change in the soldier's attitude for learning. Men were frantically taking notes, asking questions, reading the assigned text. What was the difference between those two time periods? One word, Vietnam. (laughs) The guys that were in his class knew they were headed to the jungles of Vietnam and would literally need to have these survival tactics. you know, that's the problem today. I think, I fear that sometimes we approach the scriptures today with sort of that, eh, whatever, uh, the Bible says we're in a battle, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, principalities, power, spiritual wicked. Yeah, okay, uh, whatever. And, and we, we don't even realize we're heading into battle. And we got the battle plan and we got the weapons and we got everything right here in the word of God. But people are just kind of sleepily saying, yeah, whatever. Um, it's a mentality. It's something that we have to do in our heart where we take the Bible seriously. We, we think it's childish like the people of Isaiah's time. Oh, you want to talk about the word? They said, what are we nursing from our mother's breast? That's what they said to him. And then they used the neener, neener, neener thing saying we're, we're not a bunch of children. It reminds me, by the way, um, in World War II, two, some soldiers came into um, uh, Vanuatu uh, where we have a missionary base down in the South Pacific. Um, these islands are where they you know, have bones in their noses, spears, they jump from those bamboo towers with vines tied to their legs. Maybe you've seen them on National Geographic, but pretty hardcore native people. But in World War II, we had a, a base there that had a lot of soldiers, but one of the chiefs in the jungle, the two soldiers went into this little village and the chief was so excited because he had learned how to read and he, he had a Bible. And so he, when the two soldiers came in, he got the Bible out and showed how he knew how to read from the Bible. And the two soldiers, they, they replied when, when this uh, little chief of this little village came and spoke, um, the, 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 um, uh, the, the chief was showing them and the sergeant said, oh, we've outgrown that sort of thing. Um, now, the, the, the chief was surprised to hear that American. He thought the American would be into the Bible, but the chief, uh, the sergeant said, uh, yeah, we've outgrown that sort of thing. Well, the, you know, the, the chief replied, 
to that military uh, sergeant. And he said this, it's good for you that we read the Bible because if we hadn't, you would have been eaten by now. <laughs> it's true. I've been to Vanuatu. I've met people that were cannibals before. It's illegal now, thank the Lord, to eat people in Vanuatu. But 50, 60 years ago, um, they were cannibals and they ate people. And, and the chief just said, you better be happy we're reading the Bible because that's what made us turn from being cannibals. We would have eaten you by now. Um, now, all that to say, um, you know, that's the attitude. I, I know it started, it seemed like in Europe largely. You know, there's so many great historical, um, powerful parts of the church history in Europe. But, you know, Europe became sort of godless and spiritually dead. And they said, oh, we've outgrown that sort of thing. And then young Americans, we were all, yeah, you know, God and country. And we were, you know, in God we trust. And the Europeans like, oh, we've outgrown that sort of thing. But guess what? America's right there now. It was Obama during his presidency. We are no longer a Christian nation. That's what he said. Don't believe me? Look it up. Um, that's what he said. And, you know, he's really, he's really right. We've become sort of a post-Christian country, so, sort of like Europe, you know, years ago. Sort of like the Jews during Isaiah's time. Post-biblical, post-God-fearing, post, uh, you know, trusting the Lord era. That's where we are. That's where Isaiah's people were. And it was right before the big destruction came down. Hmm. Readiness of mind. I hope you and I approach the scriptures not with our minds made up, but with our minds being ready to be made up by the word. That our opinions, our worldviews would be shaped by the Bible. Um, man, God forbid we take this crazy worldview that we're seeing in so many places. We're seeing all kinds of craziness around the world. Let the word be your anchor. So number one, readiness of mind. Number two, um, we approach the word with willingness of heart. I love, you know, many, many people have the readiness of mind, but the big question is, do they have the willingness of heart? You know, um, it's that 18 inches from your mind to your heart. Your mind can know stuff, but you, the question is, are you going to do it? You know, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth, the Bible says, apart from Jesus. But did he use the wisdom? You see, he had it in his mind, the wisdom, but he didn't have the willingness of heart to apply it and to live it. Many people have readiness of mind, but do, do you have a willingness of heart, willing to do what the Word of God says? You know, I, I think about all the things the Word tells us to do, and I, I do worry that we're, we're just not really willing to do what the Scriptures say. You know, stuff like, just simple stuff, going to all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples and baptizing people. Well, Brett, that's your job. No, that's all of our job. That's what we're called to do, is go and tell people of Christ. Oh, but Brett, we, don't, uh, we, we can't do that today. It's not politically correct. It's not popular. They might think this or they might you know, treat you badly or whatever. That doesn't, that's not part of the, the assignment to have people love you and treat you well. The assignment is very simple. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize people. Um, and that's what we're all called to do. It's, it's willing, just simply willing to do what the word of God says. And frankly, there's a lot of people who are not willing to do that. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's scriptures about being willing to, you know, care for the poor. 
You know, it is something, you know, in this day where we're, you know, asking questions. Who are mar- the marginalized people in our culture, in, the, in our world? Who are the mistreated and abandoned? And the church, we should be the, the very front of the line helping the poor. And yet, a lot of times we politicize the issue and we talk about, well, if they were, you know, if they were, you know, just go get a job or pull themselves up by their bootstraps or, you know, we have this kind of mentality where we just make excuses of why we're not helping people that are in poverty or in prison or uh, addicted or messed up because, well, they did it to themselves. But man, I'm sure glad Jesus didn't let that be his sort of plan because none of us would be saved if that was his worldview. You know, just, just doing what the Bible says. It's one thing to believe in God. It's, it's another thing to simply believe God, that what he says in his word is true and we're gonna do it. We're gonna live it and we're gonna make it happen. I love the story in Second Kings of that young King Josiah. What an amazing guy Josiah was because at the age of eight, he began to reign as king. And I love the story, you know, it's, it's kind of an amazing story where, you know, um, just as a, as a young, young boy, he uh, believed God, but I love it. It says that um, he did that which was right in the sight. This is, uh, by the way, Second Kings 22, 2. It says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked all in the way of David, his father, and turned not aside to the right or to the left. Don't you love that? Well, what was it that made Josiah such a great king where he didn't get off the rails going right or going left. How did he stay on that straight and narrow path? Well, there's a story in there in 2 Kings 22 where, remember, he said to Hilkiah and Shaphan, the priest and the scribe, he said, man, we've let the, the temple just become a total dump. It sits there in total disre- disrepair. Nobody even goes there because there's, it's like a ghost town in the temple. And there's stuff knocked over and dust and dirt. and It's just like a weird thing in Jerusalem. So he said, let's clean it up. So he got a bunch of people and said, they're going to clean it up. And as they were cleaning out the temple and getting it all back up to snuff under Josiah's command, lo and behold, Shaphan and Elkiah found a scroll, a book. And they realized as they looked at it, this is the scroll. Now that would be, by the way, what we were talking about earlier. The Jewish Bible of that day would have been the first five books of the Old Testament. And they read it, and they were stunned at what they read. It, you see, it had been so long in rubble, and the word of God had, had become so forgotten by the people of Israel that it literally just was not even a thought in their brain. So when Helkiah and Shaphan find this, they said, man, we better go show the king this thing. So they read the books to the king, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and, and just the whole thing, just read it from end to end, and Josiah ripped his clothes. Why? because he realized that they'd been missing out on God's word. He realized that they were way further off than he even knew. He knew they were off. That's why he was cleaning out the temple. But now he had his marching orders and he knew that they had work to do and and that Israel had forsaken the Lord their God. And when he read about what happens when you forsake the Lord God, he saw the evidence of what the word was saying and everything made sense to him. And he was grieved in his spirit because the people had forgotten the word of God. So after he did that, listen to this, I'll just read it to you because it's such a cool section. It's 2 Kings 23. It says, so the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah, 
and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, uh, with the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And listen, what did Josiah do? He read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Now listen to this. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and with all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. This is amazing. They were so far from God, they forgot the word altogether, but Josiah gets the word out. And what does he do? He reads it in the ears of all the people. And he says, new commandment, we're all gonna follow this now, the end. And you know what even more amazing? The people said, yeah, we're gonna follow the word. That's a good idea. Let's do it. You see, Josiah was one of the great kings of, of Judah. And it was one of the more prosperous times of Israel's history. Why? Because they were walking with the Lord. They were doing the right thing. The Lord prospered them and protected them from their enemies and did wondrous works. And because of the people hearing the word and saying, we're going to do what the word is, not just the you know, readiness of mind, they had the willingness of heart to do what the scriptures said. And because of that, the Lord just blessed their socks off. And they were. When you read about Josiah's reign, it was an amazing reign. And the Lord blessed them. I liken that place of Israel during that time to the United States of America where largely we've forgotten the word of God. Oh, we've got our favorite scriptures. People can memorize a few verses here and there, but largely we've forgotten what the Bible really says. And it's for that reason you see churches doing things that are not only not okay, but they're doing things that the Lord says, these things are an abomination to me. And the church is saying, yeah, we're gonna celebrate those things. How could that be that the church of Jesus Christ in America can believe things and do things that are so contrary to God's word? It's because they've forgotten the word of God. They don't even know what it says anymore, I think. And I, you know, I'm not claiming to be better than anybody else. I'm just kind of a, a guy who's trying to remind us a little, I'd love to be like a Josiah. Josiah is like one of the heroes of the Bible where he said, man, let's get back in the word. Let's let the word dictate what we do and, and what we think and, and, and let the word shape our mind and, and then work into our hearts to do what the Bible says. That was Josiah. That's what he did. And the Lord blessed him radically because of that. And I believe that's what's going to happen to anyone who follows after the word. You know, um, it's, it's interesting because I think there's a reason some people don't like to read the Bible that's specific, very specific. And, and you know, um, I, I've often said, people say the Bible's full of contradictions. And I believe they say that because the Bible contradicts them. It goes against their worldview and they're unwilling to believe what the Bible says. So they say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. No, it contradicts them and their lifestyle. And they wonder why they think the Bible's not cool because they've been unwilling to let it be the standard. It's interesting, I heard of a story, an American guy back in the um, 1800s who was in Europe and they had just started making powerful microscopes for the average everyday person. So he purchased one of these new microscopes and brought it home to America with him. And when he got home, he was so excited to look at stuff. But one of the things he looked at was he put some food, his favorite food, by the way, under the microscope. And when he looked at the um, 
the very high-powered image, he was shocked to find horrible little creatures um, that were crawling, those microorganisms crawling all over his food. And as soon as he saw that, he went out to his garage, got a hammer, and smashed the microscope and ate his dinner happily. <laughs> that's that's kind of like the, um, the people that they take the Bible and they don't like what they see. They see the, the little microbes uh, of sin that are crawling all over us. And rather than dealing with that, they'd rather smash the, the Word of God and get rid of the Word of God. And they have. They have. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, listen to this, speaking of readiness of mind, willingness of heart. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, I love what it says here. For this cause... Also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. King James' way of saying, you believed the scripture, so it's been effective in working in your life what you needed. And and Paul's commending them. He's saying, you guys are commended because you didn't just say it's some work of men. That's, by the way, that's one of the first things you're going to hear if you're a college student and you go to some, you know, one of these cardigan sweater pipe puffing uh, college professors, you know, at UVO or Portland State, they will, they'll puff their pipe and say, you know, the Bible's just written of men full of errors and contradiction. And, and I would say to them, uh, Where? Where is it contradictory? They could tell an 18-year-old who's never studied the Bible that, that it's full of contradictions, and they'll say, well, that guy's impressive. He's got a cardigan sweater and a pipe. Uh, he must be right. Uh, but you know what's interesting is that their so-called contradictions are goofy. And I would say they uh, say the Bible's full of contradictions because it contradicts them. But the thing is, I love how the first thing they'll say to you is, well, it's just written by men. But the men of Thessalonica said, we recognize it's not the word of men, but it is in truth the word of God. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know this one. All scripture is um, inspired. The word inspired means God breathed. He, he spoke it to the man and the man wrote it by his hand onto paper. So yeah, men wrote it, but God breathed out his word to humanity through the hand of men. That's what the Bible says. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, <clears throat> for correction, for training in righteousness. So you've got number one, readiness of mind. Man, I hope you approach the word with a ready mind. Ready to not have your mind made up by anything but the word. Dumping your worldly views, dumping your you know social media views, dumping the... Uh, emotional bandwagons that everybody's getting on today, but letting your mind be made up by the scripture, not by anything else. Readiness of mind. Number two, willingness of heart, that you not only hear it, but then you do what the Bible says. Let it go to your heart where it brings about action like Josiah, where he acted on the word of God. And then thirdly and finally, and importantly, <clears throat> steadfastness of soul. Do you approach the word with readiness of mind, willingness of heart, and steadfastness of soul? Your soul is your mind and your emotions. And man, your, your mind and your emotions, some of you particularly, <clears throat> it's a 
wave being tossed to and fro, back and forth, your soul, one minute you feel this way, one minute you feel that way. And man, you're, you're, you can, if you're like a lot of people, your soul is tossed to and fro and it's dizzying. You don't know what to do. But that's what I love about the word of God. It makes there to be kind of a steadfastness when you're approaching the word of God with readiness of mind, willingness of heart. It brings steadfastness to the soul. In fact, um, the word of God, now this is going to be hard for some of you to understand, but some of you already get it. Uh, but this is, this is hard to put a finger on and hard to put, but there's people where the word of God is something you tack on to your life. And then there's people in this world who make it a total lifestyle that you eat, drink, breathe, sleep, talk, live, dream, pray about, worship, sing, the word, the word, the word, the word. Everything's about the word. And that's what I think the Bible speaks of itself to do. You know, um, we need to be in the word all the time with our, our, our um, way of life dictated by scripture. You see, the more you can do this and just say, the Bible is my all in all. I'm gonna let the word do it all. Then you'll be squared away. It's just that simple. Christianity 101. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. I think the psalmist started touching on some of these subjects like this. Listen to this, Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed, therefore, to, according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Man, just letting the scriptures be embedded, ingrained. You know, um, one of the things is, as a you know, musician, it's kind of a funny thing because some people, I, I, I'm sort of a, um, a poser musician. Um, and what I mean by that, I'm, and I'm not being falsely humble or anything like that. Um, you guys see me play the mandolin, the guitar, the banjo, other, you know, piano stuff. I, I play instruments. Um, but the funny part about that, I don't know a lick of music. Like I don't know notes I don't know what a rest is. I've heard that there's such a thing. Um, I don't know about time signatures. Um, you know, basically when I play an instrument, it's a funny thing because um, the way I learned to play music was um, listening to music. And then um, I'm just one of those guys that I can kind of pick up an instrument, a flute or a horn, or I don't know why. I can just kind of mess around for a few minutes and kind of start playing it. And it's more of a feel and a vibe. Now, now you can kind of fake your way only so far with that. But the thing that I've, I've learned is, um, for me, is um, to uh, just play stuff and learn from other people, just hear it and, and start playing it. And eventually what happens, this is a kind of a fun thing, and athletes know this as well. It's a thing called muscle memory. And, and I'm so impressed. I have a friend who used to play the bass in the Portland, uh, you know, uh, orchestra. <clears throat> He's amazing. You could just put a piece of very intricate music in front of him, and he would never see the music. He would just see it, put it there, and just playing the most amazing, never having heard it ever. And he and I were laughing because he's like, Brad, I can do that, and I'm, which to me is just mind-boggling that he can do that. But he was like, but I couldn't play with you guys up at church because you guys don't have any music. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, I, I think he's being humble. I bet he probably could. Um, but but it is a funny thing. There's two different ways of doing it. Both are kind of cool. I think there's value in both. But, but here's the thing. 
muscle memory. You can start playing stuff and you don't even think about it. You can walk and talk to people and you can play something because it's just kind of built into your hand. Muscle memory. There's people that live the Bible like that. There's people that have committed the Bible to sort of a muscle memory thing where there's so much, and, and by the way, fewer and fewer people around the world, I think that actually are living this way. I think there's been times in church history where people really did have the Bible embedded, ingrained in their soul. I think there's generations that had it more than some. <clears throat> and and I, I, I think that maybe even some of you once had more of a muscle memory of the scripture and you were passionate about the word 30, 40 years ago. Maybe you were part of the Jesus movement when Chuck Smith started teaching the Bible or J. Vernon McGee verse by verse and you started having a grasp on the scriptures and man, somebody could say, well, I believe this about the world, but you knew, well, the Bible says that about the world. And man, it was just part of your thinking. But you know, when time goes by, you let that muscle memory start to kind of go away. It doesn't come quite so naturally because you've been a little rusty and you've been out of the word, but it's a lifestyle. It's, it's the word that's hid in your heart that helps you not to sin against the Lord. And, and the problem is, I think the idea of having that kind of a, a Bible lifestyle where you just say, my whole life is all about being biblical, measuring everything I do, everything that I think according to scripture. Um, that's what I'm talking about. I know that it seems far-fetched, it seems hard, but it's actually not. I love Psalm 119. The whole Psalm 119 is about the word, but listen to this. You know this one, Psalm 119, 105. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. People that are trying to get through this world without the scripture, it's like going through a dark cave without a flashlight and you're gonna knock your head on some stalagmites and some stalactites, probably stalactites because they're the ones that go down. But, but all that to say, man, too many people are bumping into stuff in this world and wondering what's going on. They haven't turned on the beautiful light of the word of God in their life to light it all up. Man, I could just go on and on talking about the word of God, but steadfastness of soul, just making it a way of life. How important is it for you to read, study, learn the Bible? How, how, much, how important is it for you to spend a chunk of each day in the scriptures? Barna studies have done some work on how many people read their Bibles, and the number is dropping um, exponentially. Um, pe- less and less people are reading their Bibles. Um, they sort of see the scripture on the overhead at church. They see a verse once in a while. But as far as opening the Bible every single day and devoting time to reading of scripture and internalizing it and getting that muscle memory, memorizing scripture, hiding it in your heart, numbers are going down pr- profoundly. John eight thirty two says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you abide, I love the word abide. Abide just means to hang out, cling to, comfortably just dwell. What does it say? If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth. Boy, does anybody want to know truth? Are you confused that, are you supposed to wear a mask or not wear a mask? Is there systemic racism in the world or is there not? Are police good or bad? Uh, uh, do I need to do something about racism? Do I, do I need to help the poor? Do I? 
man, I think all those answers, people are all up in arms and there's consternation and people are frustrated and angry. The word of God, if you abide in my word, then you're disciples of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Speaking of passion for the scriptures, I love the story of a guy in Kansas City years ago who was severely injured in an explosion. Evangelist uh, Robert L. Sumner tells about this in his book, The Wonders of the Word of God. The victim's face was badly uh, disfigured by the burns. He also lost his eyesight, both eyes, and also lost both of his hands, um, very severely wounded. Um, He was a fairly new Christian, and I think one of the greatest disappointments in his injury and his handicap was um, that he could no longer read the Bible. But then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille, you know, the little um, bumps that you feel with your fingertips to read. It's amazing, you know, when I see the blind able to read Braille, like, I don't even get that. Uh, that's an amazing thing. But she, she um, had also had no hands, and she was able to read Braille, according to this story that he read, um, with her lips. She would literally like put her lips up against the braille because she had no hands. And he thought, that's what I can do. And so he went and ordered a braille Bible. And a braille Bible, by the way, is volume after volume because they're thick pages and they're huge. I actually bought, brought, bought a braille Bible once years ago for a, for a guy who was blind. And it was such a cool thing to bring. But it was boxes of three ring binders that had <laughs> pages of Bibles. Quite a deal, the braille Bible. But, um, but, he was so excited when it came, he thought, I'm going to read Braille and I'm going to learn how to do Braille. But when it came, he put his lips up against the, the little bumps. But the problem was, in his case, he didn't realize it until that moment, but because of his injury and his face being so disfigured, the nerves endings in the end of his lips were burnt up and gone. He couldn't, he couldn't feel a thing. And he was so sad. But as he was doing that, he, he actually, with his tongue, bumped one of the braille bumps. And he realized, wait, he could feel the braille bumps with his tongue. And at that moment, he de- determined, he said, I will learn to read braille with my tongue. By the time the guy wrote this book um, and was telling the story, this guy, the man who was injured and got the braille Bible, had read through the Bible four times. Braille Bible with his tongue. You know, that's amazing to me, to think somebody had such a passion for the word. I think at that point I'd be like, okay, I give up. Lord, just just send me to heaven. (laughs) But this guy had a love for the word and a passion for the word. And here you and I, many of us, we've got Bibles stacked up everywhere. I bet you I have over 100 Bibles at my house. I really do. I got the King James, the New King James, the NIV. I got the ESV. I got the New American Standard. You know, I got them all, and I've got them in paperback. I've got them in hardback. I've got them in leather bound. I've got them in goatskin and Iranian, um, you know, uh, sheepskin. Or I, I, I got an underwater Bible. I got three underwater Bibles. One's just the New Testament. One's the Old Testament, and one's the Old and the New. And you can take it scuba diving. It's great. Um, I, I, I mean, I seriously, I've, I've got over a hundred Bibles, and I bet a lot of you do too. But the question is, just because we have the Bibles, does it mean we're reading them? That we have a passion for them? Just because we 
you know, listen to a Bible teaching once in a while or go to Wednesday nights or watch them online, does that mean we have a passion for the Word of God? I, I, I just end with this. The Word of God is living and powerful. This is a miraculous book. It's not just a book of literature. Don't listen to the dumb college professors that try to minimize the miraculous nature of this book. Man, I could go on and on about the Bible and how it's miraculous. Um, one of the things, I'm going to leave you with this uh, to kind of wet the whistle for Friday night. One of the things that shows the miraculous nature of this book is Bible prophecy. Um, one of the things I'm going to be dealing with on this um, Bible prophecy this week is um, how there's so many things that we would have said, oh, that's never going to happen. Or how in the world could that happen when the Bible predicted it thousands of years ago? And, and, and now we're seeing these things unfold right before our very eyes, only confirming that the Bible knows exactly what it's talking about because it's a miraculous book. It's God's holy word and it's without error. And who would have been able to think that these predictions of the last days could have even come close? But they're all perfect. The, the things we're seeing in our culture, in our technology, geopolitically around the world today, it's exactly what the Bible said would happen in the last days. It's a miracle. The Bible is a miracle. And for a person to diminish the Bible, to forget the Bible, to minimize its value or its importance, big goof, giant goof. And I hope you and I as Christians can take just a step back for a minute and say, how are we doing with the fundamentals? Do we have a passion for the word? Do we have the readiness of mind, the willingness of heart and steadfastness of soul when it comes to God's word? And that's the question for tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, as we close this evening, I pray that you'd give us, just restore a burning in our bones, Lord, to have a love for your word. Lord, I pray that your church would wake up, that we would have a, a love for the scriptures and, and not just for a smattering of verses here and there, but Lord, that we'd, we'd just wanna know the full counsel. <clears throat> Lord, that we would be careful not to take scripture out of context. <clears throat> but as we go verse by verse, that we get the whole picture. Lord, forgive us for having the attitude of the, <clears throat> the men of Isaiah's time where we sort of act like the Bible is childish. Bunch of stories of ancient times that have nothing to do with us. But Lord, we have found your word to be miraculous, powerful, and important. Would you... Just reignite our hearts, Lord, and may your church just have a revival as we love the scriptures and devote time personally, daily, to the reading of scripture, Lord. We pray this knowing that oftentimes our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. So strengthen us, Lord, strengthen your church, and give us a new hunger for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.